You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. feels like there's so much going on out there and there is but the most important thing is the stuff that happens right here on the ground it's what happens to you and yours it's whether you and yours have a great job it's whether you're on the path that you want to be on whether you're able to take care of your family and yes there are things that the federal government have got to do and we spend a lot of time focusing on that but today we're going to focus more on georgia and we've got with us today chris clark who is president and ceo of the georgia chamber of commerce he's also the author of a book that you should not miss called the ceo imperative uh faith-based service in a toxic world and it talks about how you can bring your christian values into your church, your business, your family, and your community. Chris Clark, welcome to the Martha Zoller Show. Thanks, Ms. Martha. I appreciate you having me this morning. Well, and I tell you, I saw, I see your presentations. I've seen it um, last year at the State Board of Education, and we saw you at Rotary Club, and I said it was time to really talk about this because you had some important nuggets in the overall story of this great economy that Georgia has. And, you know, I took a lot of the information that you gave at the Rotary presentation, and I brought it home and I thought about it as it related to my family because I've got four Mm -hmm. kids from 31 to 41, and, you know, my 41-year-old and his wife aren't having children. He is an IT executive and doing a fantastic job. She's a chef and works consistently um my middle children are both kind of in technology type fields one's an engineer one's a uh, researcher and um uh their wives are uh one's a funeral director and one's a pharmacist and they have six children between the two of them so they're having children my 31 year old (laughs) i know thank goodness my 31 (laughs) year old and her husband are still deciding all this stuff because they Mm -hmm. are in that kind of weird place where covid kind of interrupted everything and the cost of housing is high but they're uh my son-in-law is retraining right now he is in a place where he liked what he was doing but he didn't feel like he was going anywhere and he's retraining uh into a computer engineering field and um you know and my daughter's getting ready to start her own business so we i could relate to so many of the things that you said (laughs) uh in what these trends are so um give people an overview first and i know there's a lot here but we're going to be together the whole hour but kind of an overview of where we are in georgia today so from an economic standpoint let's just Let's just start with the basics. You know, all around the world, you're hearing talk of a recession next year. We've heard that for the last three years, economic downturn. But the truth is we've had five record years of economic development and job creation growth in Georgia. And I give Governor Kemp and the Department of Economic Development a ton of credit in our local chambers and development authorities. But we've got over 2,100 companies that are in the process of expanding or relocating to Georgia today. And those 2,100 companies, Martha, will invest $90 billion, that's 90 with a B, billion dollars all over the state 
creating, uh, you know, 200,000 more jobs. And really what I love about those statistics is that 77% of all of that economic activity is happening outside of Metro Atlanta, much in our rural communities. Uh, and your part of the state, quite frankly, has done incredibly well. If you look just north of Atlanta, you've got 15,000 jobs just announced this year alone uh, from some pretty big investments. So the economy is doing extraordinarily well. Even if there is a, a global recession or downturn, Georgia's going to do just fine. Our economy is going to continue to grow. We're going to hit our GDP target goals. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a lot of room for optimism right now. And I think that we can expect to see continued economic growth, at least for the next three or four years. I don't think this is a permanent uh, record breaking that we'll do this every year for the next decade. But for the next four or five years, we're going to have a really great window of opportunity to continue to grow and to provide the kind of jobs that you want your kids and your grandkids to have for the next 30 years. And your point about it being outside of Atlanta, my husband and I love it if we're if we're going somewhere from one place to another in the state to not go highways, to go back roads. And (laughs) and you see you go through these little towns where you see stuff being built and you go, "Mm, people are going to be working there. So Mm -hmm. it is good that you're seeing places for people to work so that every in every small to medium sized town in Georgia, it's not like it was when I started working in the 80s where you had to go basically to Atlanta to get a job because that's where all the job growth was. Uh, and right. that was a great time to go to Atlanta. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it was you can't you can't sustain that. Right. You've got to have the ability for people to work in their hometown. Well, you do. But I also think that what we saw was was a couple of things happened post COVID. Right. People saw that uh, they wanted uh, to be closer to family. Uh, they were starting to maybe have some families and wanted uh, more affordable housing, better you know, school opportunities. Um, and quite frankly, unlike 20 years ago or 25 years ago when I started in this business, it was all about location. Today, it's all about talent. These companies are going to go where they feel like they can find the best pool of talent and where their employees have the right kind of quality of life where it can be live work play and pray and so yes we're going to have companies like norfolk southern and anthem that are going to expand in atlanta and we're going to have companies like sk battery there they're going to go to cartersville and to go to jefferson and we're going to have uh, hyundai and gulfstream down on the coast and kia and flyer down that 85 corridor south so you're really seeing companies be much more open to rural communities than they were five years ago uh, and you're seeing that in Bainbridge and Wake, Waycross just had an announcement, 1,800 jobs going down to, to Little Waycross, Georgia. So we are seeing that. And I think it gives, your again, your kids and your grandkids, which this is all about, right? It's all about our children and their children. Give them opportunities to live, work, play, and pray anywhere they want to in Georgia. And there's, and we're going to talk about this change in demographics in the next segment. And we're yeah. also going to talk about um, kind of how we need to change the way we talk to our children and grandchildren about education. Talking to Chris Clark, who's the CEO and president of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, and we're talking about jobs, demographics. We might get into a little bit of how immigration is impacting all of this, but let's talk about that demographic cliff uh, because we hear about it. We talk about it. Uh, those of us, you know, I'm I'm 64. My husband's 69. We're still maintaining our small businesses. We're still doing things and planning on making income and working for as long as we can. But uh, there's a lot of people who are changing how they work. Tell us about it. 
Right. So there's three things that are happening, Martha, right now in, in the workplace, right? So number one, you've got folks that just aren't participating in, in the labor market anymore. You've got a preparedness issue with young workers, but then you've got this demographic cliff that we spend a lot of time talking about. And there's a, there are basically four things that are going to happen over the next seven years, which seems like a long time away, but it's not. The first is, is that by 2025, Georgia's workforce will go through a radical change as the Zoomer generation kind of fully enters the workforce. So right now, you've got the baby boomer group that are kind of on their way out. We'll talk about them in a minute. You've got Gen Xers like me that no one ever wants to talk about or, or care about. But the millennials, we've been preparing for them. They've been in the workforce. They're starting to take leadership roles. They'll be about 41% of Georgia's workforce by 2025. And Gen Z will be 31% of the workforce, which is a huge shift there. And Gen Z is the most diversified generation we've ever had. And so... By 2025, 58% of all workers, available workers in Georgia will be female, 31% black, 20% Hispanic, and about 12.5% immigrants. So that's the first thing that's happening. And the next thing is that after 2008, with the exception of your children, thankfully, Americans basically stopped having babies. Uh, we had a dramatic shift. We have the birth rate in America now that we had in 2007. So starting with this year's senior class, which is my son's, senior class, we'll have the smallest high school classes that we've had in probably two generations. That's dramatic because it means you'll have fewer people going into college, and it means you'll have fewer people coming out of college going into the workforce. The third thing that's happening is the 73 million global baby boomers will all be at retirement age, so we've got to figure out how to keep them in the workplace. And then the fourth thing between now and 2030 is we're going to see about 12 million Americans shift jobs because of artificial intelligence as it rises to take over those low-skilled jobs around the country. So those are four really dramatic things that are all coming together over a seven-year period that's going to really disrupt and continue to make uh, labor shortages a, a, a very hot topic. Well, and I think that, you know, a lot of us boomers, I mean, we're still pretty good workers. Um, they're figuring right. out ways to stay in the workforce. We're younger than our parents were at this age. And what I mean is, is right. we're probably healthier. We're going to we're going to do those things. And then, of course, there's probably a certain number of us that are still recovering from 2008. And I I want to go back to that whole um, yeah. You know, the the shrinking class size in the 2008, what an impact it had on that generation, because I do think mm. that if you take that 2008 and then you've got, you know, what happened with COVID, they had like a one two punch, that particular age group that was entering the workforce and growing. Yeah, they, they they really did. And, you know, locking those kids away for two years really has impacted their learning loss. You know, they're even the research shows that if those kids don't make up that lost learning by the time they hit 12th grade, they'll see their overall long term lifetime earnings decrease fairly dramatically. Um, and so, you know, that's hit them. Um, what's also hitting them now is they're coming out of college and they can't afford housing. Uh, so many are moving back in with their parents. You know, that generation, they could be, you know, 45 years old before they can ever afford a home. Uh, and so, yeah, there's the hits just keep coming uh, for that Zoomer generation. You know, and it's so funny because, you know, when I was coming up, 
um, and I know it's a sign of age when you start talking about the good old days, but basically, if you weren't in college, you were out of the house by you were 18. You were uh, in an apartment, or you were starting to buy a home, or whatever it is. And I'm looking at my old neighborhood, which is um, was in South DeKalb County. It was not a wealthy neighborhood at all. And I get little alerts, you know, like everybody does when they're looking at things. Because uh, my daughter is one of those people that are looking for a house, in a starter house in, you know, she's 31 in a starter house. And she's rented up until this point, And they can't find something they can afford. And they've got a substantial down payment. I mean, a substantial right. down payment that they've been working very hard on. And um, they're not alone. Chris, I mean, they're not alone. And home ownership is kind of the the bedrock of creating wealth in in the long term, right? Or is that changed too? No, I, it's absolutely right. And when you look at credit scores, when you look at your ability to start your own small business, uh, to be that entrepreneur that you probably always wanted to be, you use that house as collateral, right? That's your that's your go to. Um, and yeah, so we've spent the last three years really having this conversation about workforce housing, and we haven't been able to move the needle yet. Uh, you've got a lot of NIMBYism that, that don't want smaller homes, that don't want to change zoning, that don't want multi-housing. But at the end of the day, you can't find a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old that can afford a 3,000-square-foot house on two acres of land, nor do they want it. Um, you know, that's we, we all started in a small house. Then we grew a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, right? It's just a cycle. Uh, I worry about that. And then I also worry about baby boomers being able to afford to downsize, right? Um, we're having, we don't have this, the right amount of multi-generational housing in Georgia that we really need. So these are all issues that we've been working on with home builders and other partners. And, and hopefully we'll make some progress this upcoming General Assembly session dealing with it because Listen, we were in Jefferson earlier this week with the Senate panel looking at workforce development, and I love the question to one of the executives at SK. The state senator said, well, why can't you recruit from out of state? And he said, well, where are they going to live? That that just kind of put a cherry on top of it right there. Um, So, yeah, that's another issue that we have to deal with. But, Martha, let's go back and talk a minute about the shrinking class size and the Zoomers, because I do think there's a, there's another issue here that's worth us talking about, and that's the preparedness of that generation to enter the workforce and to enter college, right? Uh, it's a very different environment than when you and I were growing up where we all had after-school jobs, we all worked summers. We're seeing right now uh, nationwide in the U.S. that 40% of our high school students will graduate this year never having worked a day in their life. And that's a, that, to me, is just one of the most shocking statistics that, uh, that we've been able to unearth and dig into. What do we need to do to communicate with young people about what they should do as far as their training? We're doing a great job with CTAE in our high schools, uh, which is the training programs that get into things. And I think we need to do a better job. I was talking to the, one, of the, one of the regents yesterday where I said, you know, we got to figure out a way to meld uh, a four-year education with a technical degree somehow because I think that basic education that people have that makes you a good citizen is important, but you also got to have a job. So where are the jobs and what kind of education do you need to get them? 
So the, the jobs are in almost any sector that, that you can imagine because of the retiring baby boomers. But the, the ones that really keep me up at night and that I worry about are particularly in health care. I mean, by 2030, we'll have 100,000 health care openings in Georgia. Uh, most of those nurses. Uh, manufacturing, those skilled trades. Um, we are going to have more as a percentage of Georgia's economy. There'll be more manufacturing jobs uh, in the next five years than we've ever had in our history. And so making sure that kids understand that, yes, uh, we need engineering, we need STEM, but we need the skilled trades, anything in mechanics, anything that can fix, you know, plumbing, electricians, all of those are in desperate need. Uh, but we've spent the last 20 years telling every kid that they need a four-year degree or a five-year degree. And while that's obviously important in some fields, doesn't reflect where all the jobs are going to be. Now, I will say this, every job of the future is going to require some type of skill, right? Whether that's a four-year degree or a two-year degree or micro-credentials, you need something. Um, but we've got to change the narrative with, well, the tail end of the Zoomers, but also with Generation Alpha, which we can, we can talk about if we have time today. Yeah. Oh, we definitely will. Um, so you talk about these jobs that are available. How should parents talk to their children about this? Because I know there's a role for schools and there's counselors and all that. Yeah. But what do we as parents and grandparents need to do to re-educate ourselves? I think you got to understand that the, you know, the jobs that you might, you or your parents might have looked down on, they're not those same jobs. Manufacturing jobs are not what our grandparents did. They are high tech. Uh, they are incredible. Just walk through SK Battery. Uh, it's all a, a clean room. I mean, it's just a whole different world. And I think we have to understand that, that young people, they want to make stuff. They want to do, build, uh, grow. And all those jobs have value. Uh, I think we've gotten to the point in our country, particularly for healthcare manufacturing, educator jobs, we, we somehow demean them, we politicize them, and we've got to restore dignity to those careers. And so exposing kids to those uh, types of jobs. But the other thing is, as parents, we've got to pull our kids off the year-round extracurricular and sports model and let them work part-time. Get them into those jobs. Let them, let them career job shadow. You know, expose them to the opportunities that, are, that exist in their communities. Well, and I think we focus too much on building a resume and not you enough do. on, um, you know, let's just get a part-time job. Now, I worked my first job. My my family were retail people. My dad was a salesman. Mm -hmm. My mom worked at Rich's. Um, and they were in management and worked their way up. But neither one of them had college educations, okay? And that's what they wanted for us. And we all did go to college. But my first job was as a gift wrapper at Rich's South the Cab for two forty five mm -hmm. an hour. And I worked in retail jobs until 1990. I mean, you know, in one way or another, getting increasing responsibility, mainly because they were flexible and worked with me around my schedule. And, you know, restaurant jobs are like that, too. They're very flexible and work around people's schedules. But, mm -hmm. and you learn a lot from having to do retail, working with the public, that kind of thing. You learn problem solving. You learn dealing with different kinds of people. You learn a lot more about the world outside than you do in this sort of bubble that we want all our kids to live in. Yeah. It's interesting. There's a, some great statistics that came out of a survey the Wall Street Journal did just a few weeks ago. And I, I just shared two of these statistics with you. 73% of Gen Z 
say that they respect the skills trades as a career and they put it only second to medicine. So it's a skill that they see the value. They think, Hey, that's somewhere I want to go. But that same group, 82% said that their parents were telling them that going to college was the only way to have a successful life. Right. Uh, and right. so there's a disconnect between what the reality is and what parents are telling them because that's what we've, you know, what, what we believe. Um, and I think sometimes when we use terms like you're going to need a degree to be successful, we don't, we don't tell the difference, right? Well, there's a college degree, there's a technical college degree, there's a certificate. We just mean you need some type of certification and post-secondary training. Well, and also what it it shows is, is that you can finish something difficult, that you can follow a path to a completion, correct? I mean, and yes, you need certain training in certain areas. Obviously, I'm not saying anything is interchangeable, but what I always look for when I'm hiring people, I want to see people that can finish things. A hundred percent. Right. And, and, you know, I've, I've had that call with parents before that, well, I don't want my kid to not do travel sports because then he'll quit. And it's like, well, but you got to have him well-rounded too. Right. Let's get him into, to even play baseball part of the year, but let's get him working in the other part of the year. So I agree. It's that stick to itness all the way through. But the other part of it, I think Martha, when you and I were coming up, there was a general understanding that, Hey, you, you, you know, you got whatever education you were going to get, and then that was it. And maybe if you were specializing, you needed some continuing ed. But what we need to realize today that the, the actually the millennials, as well as Gen Z, as well as uh, my generation, you're going to need to update your skills literally every year to two years. I mean, this this idea of lifelong learning that you're going to have to continue to work at this stuff because technology changes. Uh, human knowledge changes, jobs change. We're just going to have to continue to update ourselves and build out new skill sets. So let's talk a little bit about Gen Alpha because it seems like we need to have a push for people to have more babies. Okay, because <laughs> because Gen Alpha is going to be changing the complexion, literally, of what the world looks like. It is. I think what's fascinating is you think about you know the, the silent generation, the boomers, the Xers, the millennials, the Zoomers, all of those those five generations, America did their part. We we were one of the leading nations in having those birth rates through all five of those generations. And then in 2008, when we quit having babies, other countries kept going. <laughs> their libido didn't slow down. And so Gen Alpha, which are those kids born 20, 2010 to 2025, um, there be there will be 2.4 billion of them. So they'll actually be the largest generation in history, actually larger than the baby boomers, but they're not born here. And so those kids are being born in India. They are catching up in China, and they're being born in Nigeria and Indonesia, Malaysia. Nigeria will actually be a larger country than America from a population standpoint in about 15 to 17 years. And so... A, we, we, don't get me wrong, we still have alphas that are in our schools, but as I said, the schools are getting smaller. We have to think differently about how we train the kids that are here. We have to think differently about immigration uh, and how we work with these other countries over the long term to get the skilled talent, healthcare professionals that we're going to need. And um, I like what you said about we have to work differently about immigration. And I certainly think that, um, you know, 
we we focus a lot on the illegal immigration, and I think rightly so right now because there is a problem at our border right now because we have immigrated legally over the last three years, about 1.1 million a year, but it looks like the numbers we know of is about 2.8 million coming across the border each year in the last three years. So that's like 7% of the population in three years. It's It's a lot to deal with. But I think... The answer to that is fixing our legal immigration system, which is a mess right now. Um, and there, you know, I liked the Raise Act. Okay, I, it didn't go anywhere, but I think it was focused on yeah. merit, and it was focused on what we needed, yeah. and it was focused on clearing the backlog of people that were waiting in line the right way and getting people into skills. So, what's your vision on that? Yeah, listen, I, I don't disagree that you have to secure the border, but we also, and, and this maybe goes back to, to faith a little bit more, Martha, than anything else. We got to stop demonizing those people that come from other countries that are different. Um, we've got to fix the federal system. And this was, you know, this was a two administration, Republican and Democrats problem. But the system pre COVID, probably if you went back to 20, 14 or 15, you would bring through either permanent workers, green card workers, temporary workers at about 3 million a year. They would skill trades. Our farmers needing them. Our tech companies needing them. Our uh, hospitality, retail needing them. Uh, and here's the statistic to keep in mind long term for, for those of you that, that struggle with this. 24% of all nurses in America are immigrants. That's your caregiver population that is so vitally needed right now. So, yeah, uh, we need to have more judges to process them. Uh, the Biden administration has drugged their feet. They've been unwilling to hire um, the judges and the additional staff that they need to process those men and women that are trying to get here legally. I- I'll give you a great example. Um, there's a hospital in South Georgia that has traditionally brought in foreign nurses on a temporary basis, rotating them in and out. Some stay, get their permanent legal residence. They, they found a couple, husband and wife, from Central America that uh, you know had their master's degree in nursing. They were fantastic. Uh, the hospital did all the recruitment, moved them up here, and then the, the, the wife was able to get all of her documentation, everything she needed. She's working in that hospital right now, providing incredible care. But the husband is still waiting for the federal government to process his paperwork. Oh, I, you know, uh, we could if we started telling those stories, Chris, we'll be here all day. I'll tell you <laughs> one: a girl that worked for me at an inter, as an intern about ten years ago, who's from Rwanda, she finished her degree in uh, at Brunel and got her master's degree at Texas. She is a survivor of the genocide in Rwanda. It's her and her sister, the only two people that are left. The rest of her family were killed. Okay. Uh, her father mm-hmm. made it through a little bit, but has since died. But, but, you know, she went here. Her sister has a green card and is living in Atlanta. And she, at the end, after she got her master's degree, she got sent home, and she has not been able to get back in. When her own, you know, we talk about asylum seekers. This is a legitimate yeah. survivor of, <laughs> you know, of a genocide. Right. Okay, and her only yeah. living relative is living and working as an accountant in Atlanta. And she has a master's degree from a United States college, and she can't get back into the country. So there yeah. there are a million stories like that. And it gets right. frustrating for people who are trying to either bring workers in 
or bring people or people coming in like on H-1B visas. I mean, I had meetings all the time when I was in Senator Perdue's office with these families that are in limbo because things are moving so slowly. Right. And and, and when you were in that, uh, we do. And, And then the other part of that is you still have farmers who have problems bringing the crops in from the fields three years later now. Um, and so it, it does impact every section of the economy, and it and it will continue. I mean, right now we expect the immigrant workforce population in Georgia to be about 12.5% by 2028. That number should probably be 15 to 16%. Um, and as we said before, long term, 10, 20 years from now, it's going to need to be higher than that. Right. We've had multiple years of great growth of Georgia's economy. And it's the place that people want to be. And a lot comes with that. A lot of growing pains come with that. But it seems to me, Chris, like the key to this is education, getting it right, and communication of what jobs are out there. Because it's not a case that they're not out there. Uh, There are plenty of jobs out there. And even for these people that have left the workforce, there ought to be plenty of jobs out there to motivate them to get back in. Listen, if, if you've got a cousin that says he can't find a job right now, he's either lying or he's lazy. I mean, the, the jobs are there. Right now in Georgia, there's 400,000 job openings. For every one person looking for a job, there are three jobs out there. Um, but to your point, I think you have to make sure that, particularly for young people, where are those jobs going to be in the future and what do I do today? And so if you look at just three years out from now, you know, what's going to be the go-to if I've got this degree or I've got this skill set, I'm going to be successful. Anything in engineering, anything in nursing and bioscience, anything in data computer science, um, and anything in the skilled trades, you're going to be able to write your own ticket and you're going to be successful for, you're going to have a great career. You know, it's funny. My, my son, uh, my oldest son has had, uh, PhD in oboe performance. Like, what are you going to do with that, right? He spent, uh, you know, he is a just a brilliant musician. And we were very communicative with him about, okay, if you're going to follow this path, you need to understand there's only about 100 people in the world that are making their living playing the oboe. Okay, so you've got to do, you got to figure some other things out. So he started self-teaching himself all these computer things. I mean, he's just one of those guys. He's a lifelong learner. He still does it. Um, And so he got a graduate assistantship um, that he was handling the IT at LSU where he was getting his final degree. And then from there, he started working at a little company in Alpharetta. And then basically he's been headhunted ever since because uh, he's got some cloud skills that he's way ahead. I mean, his job is to figure out what's next. That's what his thing is. He figures Mm -hmm. out what's next in cloud security. And he has worked, you know, I can't even keep track of the number of companies he's worked for. And it's not because he can't keep a job. It's because his skill set's so in, in such high demand that he gets recruited. So, you know, but he found that because that was a passion of what he wanted mm-hmm. to learn. How do we, I don't know if you, but you know, that was anything my husband and I did other than saying you need to have a job. <laughs> you know, you got to have something, but we got to do a better job with our kids. Don't we? I think, I think so. I, I think there's, there's two things that I would suggest to, to us uh, as, as, as a parent of a 17 year old. One is making sure your kids, no matter what their passion is, that they've got the skills of the future so that they can AI proof their career, right? And I'm talking about things that we all learned when we worked part time or we learned growing up that, 
you know, innovation, risk-taking, self-awareness, how to work in teams, how to critical think, understanding data, um, being an active listener, you know, empathetic. Just give them the skills that I don't think our kids are all getting today that they need. And then the other thing that I think we can do as parents and grandparents is we've got to instill a work ethic in the next generation. We've got to remind them of the importance of work, that God made us to work, to do good deeds, to steward, grow, create, make, do, uh, and that there is societal and personal value in work. Um, I think those are critical things that we might not in our busy lives, we assume our kids know, but I would venture to say there's a disconnect out there for the general uh, population. And just finally, I just want you to kind of talk to people about what you see as the role of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce. What is your role? What is your purpose? Sure. Well, Martha, we're a 110-plus-year-old organization, the largest business advocacy organization in Georgia and one of the largest in the country. And honestly, I mean, we're here to help our members and help the business community, their employees, their communities where they where they work, um, to be successful. And so we do a lot of long-term visioning, what's going to happen in 2030, 2040, 2050, so that they can, businesses can assess the risk, take advantage of the opportunities. Um, we provide insurance for small businesses because it's a desperate need that they have. We have other services we provide. And then, uh, you know, the bulk of our, our hard work is advocating for free enterprise in Washington and Atlanta with legislators to make sure that we're a place where you can move and live and prosper and start your own business and your kids can be here. And so that's what we wake up every day. We just, we're here to serve our members, our investors, and the general business population of the state of Georgia. And just in the final 30 seconds we got, tell folks what led you to write the CEO imperative. So uh, thank you for mentioning. It's just such a passion project. I was asked by a, a young man that I was mentoring a few years ago. He said, Mr. Chris, tell me about the values that matter to you and that you learn from mentors. And as I started that work, I realized that the men and women that I looked up to most were men and women that had at their core a strong faith. And that allowed them to be humble, courageous, engaged, passionate. And I went out and interviewed those folks and did the research and try to try to tell their story. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.